0: I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. First Sunday in May, we looked at the value of Scripture and the fact that what Paul is teaching Timothy is that the Scripture is breathed by God, it's inspired, and it's profitable, has benefit, and he enumerates those benefits of Scripture. And then last week, we looked at the value of a godly heritage as we celebrated Mother's Day last week. And just the heritage that Timothy had in having a godly grandmother and mother that had trained him, taught him God's word. And so today we look at the value of knowing. I want you to think about that for a minute. If somebody asks you, what do you know? I don't mean facts and information, but what, what do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt? You just know you're right about what? I've met people that are often wrong but never in doubt. You know those kind of people? There's some people that just have a lot of confidence that they shouldn't have. Because they're wrong a lot of the time. You ever tried to loosen a bolt? The universal symbol or universal truth for loosing a bolt is what? Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. What happens when you're not sure? That happened to me a week ago. I was trying to take the blade off of my edger. And I'm, I mean, I'm just torquing on this and realize I may be going the wrong way. This may be one of those rare instances where lefty-loosey is not right. It's righty-loosey, lefty-tighty. So what do you do? How do you figure it out? Because if you torque on it, you're just making it tighter. And maybe stripping the bolt, you may not ever get it off. So what I've learned is you go to YouTube, and you type in, how do you get a bolt off of this? And you put in the particular thing you're working on, and somebody's created a video on it. The first one I looked at, the guy needed some help with his camera work. I was getting seasick because it was all over the place. But I finally realized it was righty Lucy, And I had been doing it wrong the whole time. And now I'm confident. Of course, the next time I have to change it, I'll forget. I'll, wait a minute. was this the application where it's lefty Lucy or righty Lucy? But there's things that we can know. And that's what Paul is addressing to Timothy. And I think there's a value. What happens when you know something? You have confidence. You have confidence in that that you know. So that's what Paul is teaching Timothy in this next passage. And let's just look at verses 8 through 14. Second Timothy, or excuse me, yeah, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and following. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which He granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of your sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This is Timothy's letter to excuse me, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, a a man that was a young man that Paul would have considered and does call him my son. In the faith, Timothy was Paul's son. Paul had led Timothy to faith in Christ. He may have actually led Lois and Eunice, his grandmother and mother, to faith in Christ, but certainly Timothy, and he's left him in Ephesus to continue to direct and be one of the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Where's Paul by this time? Paul's in prison, probably the worst prison he was ever in because it sounds like it's more of a dungeon, and Paul is probably days to weeks away from being put to death. And this is the last thing that Paul's going to write. Paul writes 1 Timothy, and in between 1 Timothy, he writes Titus and Philemon. And then he comes to 2 Timothy. And most scholars would say this is the last thing he's got to say. If if you're reading somebody's last words, and they kind of know they're their last words, don't you know that they're important words? So Paul says to Timothy, first thing he says is, therefore. If you've come to the chapel for any length of time, what do we do when we see the word Therefore. We find out what it's there for. So you got to look back to the verse before it. And Paul, the last thing we looked at last week is, Paul says to Timothy, God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So Paul's building off of that truth, since that's true, that if you have a spirit of fear, timidity didn't come from God. So he encourages Timothy by saying, therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Timidity leads to shame, especially in the culture that we live in and the culture that Timothy lived in. To be a Christian, to name yourself as a believer back then, would bring ridicule, persecution, perhaps prison, or even for some, death. So Paul, writing from a Roman dungeon back to Timothy, who he loved dearly, he says, first of all, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And what was his testimony? Well, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. And some people who didn't believe in the resurrection were still pointing back to that day and saying, yeah, that rebel rouser, we put him to death. Well, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. So they only got about half the testimony. But Paul says, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't even be ashamed of me to be considered the son of the apostle Paul, to be considered the one that Paul had led led to Christ, led to faith. Don't be ashamed of Jesus or of me, but instead join me in suffering. And that's a word we don't want to dwell on a whole lot in Scripture. Anybody want to sign up? We've got a suffering trip coming up. We don't, we, don't want to, we don't want to charge real hard towards that. But the truth of the matter is if you walk for Christ, if you identify as a Christian, you will suffer even in this generation. Not just in Paul's time, it certainly happened then. But today, even in Myrtle Inlet or Garden City or Myrtle Beach or Columbia or Lake City or wherever you're from, you identify with Christ in this culture, people look at you funny. They're okay with you going to church. They're okay with you being religious. They just don't want you to really stand for the principles of God's Word. And if you do that in this culture, we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but you'll suffer. Now, it could be that things will even get worse, that we'll suffer imprisonment. That's happening around the world. Suffer persecution beatings. I was in India last year. Some of the pastors that I worked with had been beaten for their faith. Not by the government, but by radical Hindus who who the government doesn't. Nothing to stop. These are are beaten. You know what they do the day after they're beaten? They go right back to serving Christ the way they were serving Christ before they took their beating. And I think, wow. I I don't know. (laughs) I think God gives grace in those moments to stand strong for him, and that's what he talks about, his power here in a minute. But Paul says to Timothy, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't try to distance yourself from the testimony of Jesus. Cling to it. And don't even try to distance yourself from my testimony. But join me in suffering for the gospel. Now hear me clearly. Sometimes we suffer because of our own faults. Sometimes we suffer because of sin. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about you suffering for your own bad choices. Paul's talking about when you stand up for the gospel and you clearly represent Christ. If you suffer in that, then understand you're doing it according to the power of God. It's not in your own strength or your own power, but Paul says it's according to the power of God. And then he says he saved us and called us. And I appreciate Paul using the word us. He's writing this to Timothy. It's going to be read to the church, and now we're reading it. And I think Paul's including us in his words, certainly including Timothy and saying, Timothy. He saved us. We weren't living for God. What was Paul doing before he came to faith in Christ? He was a persecutor of Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing religiously. He persecuted. He would chase after people who claimed the name of Christ, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them on trial, imprison most of them, and kill some of them. So he says, Timothy, he saved us. Not only that, he's called us. I want you to get this. There's a close association between your salvation experience and your calling. And just in case you're thinking, wait a minute, preacher, I'm not in full-time ministry. I want you to hear me. We're all called to ministry. Some of us perhaps use it as our vocation. We're paid, whether we're on staff at a church or we're in a ministry where we're doing music or preaching or missionary or you fill in the blank. But we're all called to ministry. He hasn't left any of us to be pupitators. I've used that phrase here before lady came up and said, did you say perpetrator? I said, no, pew potato. Pew potato is like a couch potato. You know, you got the remote control. As soon as you sit that down, you've lost your brain. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, we've been saved, but we've also, also been called with a holy calling. He's called us to salvation, but he's also called us to holy living. And part of that is we are now gospel messengers. So if you're here this morning, you're a child of God. You've been called to be a gospel messenger. Now, it may be that you do that as a school student. It may be you do that as a school teacher or whatever your vocation is, wherever you collect your paycheck, do that job as unto the Lord. But as you do that, you're a messenger for the gospel. And I love this. He said, not according to our works. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, the same church that he wrote Ephesians 2, and he said in Ephesians, For by grace are we saved through faith. Not, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works. If we could claim it, if we could say, You know what, I earned this, then what can we do? We could pat ourselves on the back. Or we could think, Well, I guess if I get to a certain point, I can feel like I'm saved. We're not saved based on good works. We're saved unto good works, but good works aren't what saved us, and it's not what keeps us saved. It's the power of Almighty God. So Paul says to Timothy, He saved us. He's called us, not according to our works. It's not based on that, but according to His purpose. From eternity, His purpose. God has a purpose in the world that's to bring people to faith, but He's also got a purpose for you individually. And there's only one you. If I don't fulfill the calling God's placed on my life, there's not another me. There's not another you. So Paul's encouraging Timothy. According to his purpose, also according to his grace. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. When God saved you, it was not because he looked from heaven and said, well, there's a good one. No, he looked from heaven and said, there's one I love. And I'm going to draw them to myself. And we come to faith, not based on our works or our ability or anything we've ever done. But it's based on the calling grace of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I love this. It's now been revealed. The coming of Christ, the first advent, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death. I love that choice of word that Paul uses. Abolish means to make entirely idle or useless. Death is a fearful thing. There's a precious couple that has come to the chapel for a number of years, and, The man died a week ago, and I was with his wife, his widow, last week. One of the things you can bring comfort and find comfort in as a child of God is death is not final. Death has no power anymore because God, through Christ Jesus, has abolished death. We don't see it that way because we see from this side of eternity, don't we? It seems so final. And yet the psalmist in Psalm 23, when David wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil i got to tell you, the people that have died and gone on to be with the Lord are not the ones walking through the valley. We are, because we don't understand that Christ abolished death. He rose from the dead, and because of that, I have hope to rise from the dead. In fact, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians. He says, oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Well, there's no victory in death anymore. There's no sting in death anymore, because Christ abolished death at the cross by rising from the dead. And not only that, but he brought to light, he brought life and immortality to, life, to light through the gospel, for which Paul says, I was appointed. And then he enumerates his appointment. This is Paul's calling. He said, first of all, I was, a, I was called to three things. First of all, to be a preacher, one who heralds, one who announces, one who preaches the gospel message. Gospel means good news. So Paul said, one thing God's called me to do is I proclaim boldly that Jesus Christ loves you, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, and that through Christ I can be forgiven and have a relationship with him. So I'm a preacher. I'm also an apostle, literally a delegate, an ambassador who carries the authority of the one who sent him. So Paul, other places said, I'm on, a, I'm on, a, I'm on a mission. I'm an ambassador for Christ, so I represent Christ in the world. So not only do I preach the gospel message, I represent Jesus. I'm sent with the gospel. But he's also a teacher, an instructor, one who explains the gospel. So Paul says, Timothy, be encouraged, even though I'm still in a Roman prison, apparently at this point even a dungeon, Paul still sees his mission as, I've been sent with the gospel. Perhaps they needed the gospel in Rome. And can you imagine being it sometimes chained to the Apostle Paul as a Roman guard? Talk about having a captive audience. They were allowed Paul at one time was under house arrest chained to a Roman guard, he would have guests come, and you know what they do? They talk about Jesus. That Roman guard's got to hear everything they're saying. And I'm sure there were Roman guards that were led to faith in Christ. My car dealer does the same thing with me. Not the dealer, but the ones that works on my car. I call him sometimes, you know, I've just said, Terry, can you do an oil change? And he'll say, yeah, bring your car. And I'll call him, it'll be ready in 30 minutes. Well, I know that means two hours. But I went one time, and um He's under my car, and there's a guy sitting on a bench waiting on his car. So Terry starts saying, so, Robert, so uh, you're, you're a Christian? I was like, yeah, you know I'm a Christian. I didn't say it, but you know I'm a Christian. He had me basically share my testimony while he's under my car because he wanted that other guy to hear it. And I think about that as the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul continued to have guests and was telling the good news of Jesus even while being in a Roman prison, and in this case a Roman dungeon. So Paul never forgot. That he's been appointed. He's been divinely commissioned. And folks, you and I have to. We've been divinely commissioned. So then Paul in verse 12 says, for this reason. So you got to back up. For what reason? Paul says, because I'm a preacher, because I'm an ambassador, because I'm a teacher, I suffer these things. I'm experiencing pain. He understood his calling led to suffering. But then he says, I'm not ashamed. Paul says, even while I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been tortured, i have been—they tried to kill me, and ultimately they will. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not changing my story for the cause of Christ. Why? Because the song we sang just a minute ago, I know whom I believe. I know that I know that I know whom I believe. And he's able to keep that that I've committed to him against that day. Paul says, not only do I know whom I believe, and I love this. He doesn't say, I know what I believe. I think what's an important thing. It's important to know what you believe. But Paul says, I know whom I believe. It's more important to know the God of the Bible than just the Bible. So Paul says, I know whom I believe. I know God. And because of my intimate relationship with God, I cannot recant. I can't walk out of this prison by denying Christ. I have to stay here because I can't change my testimony. So he says, "I'm not ashamed because I know whom I believe, and I am convinced that He is able to guard what I've entrusted Him against that day." Now, let, let me ask you something: How how tight is your grip on Jesus? I think sometimes we live our life thinking, "Boy, I got to stay tightly gripped to Jesus." It reminds me of watching my son one time when I was trying to take something away from him, and he's got this stick in his hand about to hit his sisters and his other brother with it. I'm saying, "Give me the stick," and I get this, "Uh-uh." And sometimes we think that's what holds on to Christ. That's not all that holds on to Christ. In Hebrews it says, hold fast to the confession of your faith without any waving for he who promised is faithful. So it's not just me holding on to Christ. More than that, he's holding on to me. And he's promised to never let me go. One of the most often questions I get asked from people is, how can I know for sure that that's true? First church I ever served as youth pastor. They called me to be the youth pastor, and first Sunday we had two youth, and they were the preacher's kids. I thought, well, two. They're going to get individualized attention. The next week we had four. I thought, we're the fastest growing youth ministry in the country. We just doubled in size in one week. It finally settled into about 15 to 20 students. I had one adult helper at that time. His name was Ron. He had the spiritual gift of Jiffy Pop Popcorn. I'm serious. That's only, he showed up. He was so excited because he could make Jiffy Pop popcorn. That's what we had for snack every night after youth group. He was really excited. We had enough. He had to make two. I thought, Ron, you got it, buddy. That's your spiritual gift. You're making Jiffy Pop popcorn. And the, the students used to ask me Sunday morning, where are we going to do at the thing tonight? And I finally said, we've got to come up with a better name than the thing. So I said, all right, we're going to vote. I'm going to pass cards out. I'm going to let you come up with what we call what we do on Sunday night. Guess what we ended up calling it? the thing we just made it official and one of the things i did at the thing was i handed out cards i said all right over the next few weeks i'm going to cover topics that are of interest to you you just ask you write any question you want to on this card and turn it in and that's what's going to be the topic of the message i just one kid named named doug he wrote my two favorite questions one was which came first the chicken or the egg And in parentheses, he says, no, I really need to know. I thought, this is keeping you awake at night, knowing which came first, the chicken or the egg. So we talked about that. The other was, in the event of nuclear attack, is it okay to take a cyanide capsule? I thought, Doug, in your case, I think I hear the sirens now. No, I'm just kidding. But you know what the most asked question of that was? How can I know for sure I'm saved? And that's what Paul's talking to Timothy about right here. He's saying, Timothy, I know who I believe, and I'm convinced that he's able to hold on to what I've entrusted. I've given him my life. I've turned over my eternal security and salvation to the Lordship of Christ, and I'm convinced I'm banking my life on it, that he's able to guard that, he's able to keep that. So I just want to share a few verses with you. Romans chapter 10. In fact, I'll tell you this, John writes the Gospel of John. He writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also writes Revelation. One of the things John says in in chapter 5 of 1st John is, I've written these things who believe in the name of Jesus Christ in order that you may know you have eternal life. You can know, and there's a value in knowing, right? And so Romans 10, Paul, same author, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And then he also writes in Romans 8, 38 and 39. Here's Paul. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's where Satan plays the trick. You know you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know what Satan loves to do? He loves to come and rob you of the joy of your salvation. He loves to come and cast seeds of doubt. You didn't really mean that. God really doesn't love you. Maybe that wasn't genuine. Maybe that wasn't real. And so what do you do? You come back to facts or feelings. I'm jumping ahead of myself. i got one more verse to, write, to read you. But Paul's saying, listen, I'm convinced there's no created thing. Well, Satan's also a created thing. He cannot rob you of your salvation. He'd love to keep you from ever coming to faith in Christ. So that's his MO before you come to faith is to keep you from hearing the gospel and responding to it. Once you've responded to the gospel, he can't take it away from you. So he just tries to make you ineffective by robbing you of your joy. And I've said this before, but I I love the T-shirt that said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future you're going to spend eternity with god in a place called heaven he's going to spend eternity in a place called hell the lake of fire last verse or passage is john this is jesus speaking john 10 27 through 30 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and i give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So if you ever struggle with that, have confidence that the same confidence that Paul says, I know whom I believe, I'm convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt, I'm banking my whole eternal security on it that he can keep what I've entrusted in. And then the last thing, an important instruction. There's 25 things that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says, do this, do this. Don't be ashamed. Be willing to suffer. Then he says, retain the standard. So he's Paul saying, Timothy, here, here's how I want you to live the Christian life, especially as a minister of the gospel in Ephesus. Retain the standard. Hold on to the standard. Literally, this same word would be used as an artist who would sketch out kind of a rough outline of what they're going to paint or draw, or a writer who sketches out a rough outline about what they're about to write. Paul says, you've received a standard, Timothy. You received it from me. Hold on to that. Hold on to that even in the midst of a generation that wants to come and throw stones at the Word of God. Timothy, in your case, even amidst a generation of religious people that will come into the church and try to divert away from the truth of God's Word and claim they've got some new revelation. New knowledge. But Timothy, hold on to the standard of sound words you've heard from me. Be faithful to the message. Don't add or take away from it. You've heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard that, Timothy. Paul's literally saying, Timothy, I'm about to die. And I've entrusted the gospel message to people like you. You're not the only one. But, Timothy, you're who we're leaving it in the hands of. And so hold on to the standard. Don't water it down. Don't add to it. Don't take anything away from it. One of the most famous paintings that was ever painted was the Mona Lisa. You ever seen it? The Mona Lisa. Hello. You ever seen the Mona Lisa? I'm seeing heads like that, but this is, I just want to know you're paying attention. Well, the Mona Lisa is kept in the museum in Paris called the Louvre, Art Museum. Only two times in the last century has it been let out of the museum to be displayed somewhere other than this special vault that's bulletproof and fireproof. Only two times. I thought before, what what if you were one of the men or women or team of people that had to transport the Mona Lisa? What if you just decided, you know what, I've seen the Mona Lisa. It needs some work. It's out of date. It's 500 and something years old. I think I can fix it. So what if, you know, they got their paintbrushes out and some paint and thought, let's add some frills and let's change the color of that dress. That's just awful. No, what are they entrusted to do? They're entrusted to get it from point A to point B. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul's saying, Timothy, guard this that has been entrusted to you. That's your supreme task is to preserve and transmit the, the gospel message that you have received from me. So retain the standard of sound words. You've heard from me. Let me just share three thoughts that occurred to me as I was preparing that, the message. Let's bring that into our generation. We've talked about what Paul said to Timothy 2,000 years ago. How do we apply that today in the generation we live in? We live in a generation where the gospel is under attack. Again, people don't mind if you're religious. Don't let it change your life. And if you really believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, God breathed. That's different than what a lot of people do. People don't mind you having a Bible, they just don't want you to read it. And they certainly don't want you to live it. They want to change it. They want to add to it. They want to take away from it. Had a conversation with someone on biblical truth one time, and I, I was just kind of keeping my mouth shut until he finally said, what do you think? I said, well, what you're talking about is not biblical. His response was, I know it's not biblical, but it's practical. Well, once you get to where practical is more important than biblical, Everything's fair game. So the first thing is we live in a day, be careful that you maintain the integrity of God's word. It's not ours to change, it's ours to steward. Second thought is many Christians don't have a conviction, don't have courage of their convictions because they have no clear convictions. Paul writes to Timothy, who you can tell from first and second Timothy, there were times of weakness for Timothy. There was times of timidity. And there's also times I think Timothy thought, Well, I'm just young. So Paul addresses all three of those thoughts. But we live in a generation where folks need to know God's Word to have conviction. I'm not talking about preference. I'm talking about conviction. This is, I believe this. This is what God's Word teaches. And I'm not going to change for culture. Last thing. Be careful you don't accept false doctrine just because you want to be friendly to everybody. <laughs> There's a lot of false doctrine on the radio, on television, and even in pulpits across the country. Why? because they compromise the truth of God's Word. They've either learned to misquote Scripture or just not be real concerned with it. It's just, let me make the Bible culturally relevant. You don't have to make the Bible culturally relevant. Let the Bible be what the Bible is. It's relevant in every culture. If I knew you were about to drive off a mountain, if I knew a bridge was washed out or I knew a guardrail wasn't up and you're going 90 miles an hour around the mountains, and I stood back and said, you know, I need to tell them they're doing something wrong here. I need to tell them they need to slow down and there's a curve coming up that the sign's gone that the guardrail's gone. They're about to sail off the edge of this mountain and die. But I don't really want to offend anybody. I want people to like me. I want them to know that I love them. Folks, it's not loving to keep the truth from people. You can share the gospel in a loving way. I'm not saying hitting people upside the head with a Bible. I'm not saying carry an air horn around with you. When you see people doing something they shouldn't do, you just blow it in their ear and point them out to everybody. But if we love people and we know they're doing something wrong, we need to pray for them. And when we have opportunity, we need to share the truth with them. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Timothy, guard the standard. Because what we've committed to Christ, he's holding. But now he's given it to us. He's given the the gospel. He's given the mission to us. And we're to hold that. So he's holding on to us. So that we can take the gospel message to the world. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you that we know your word is true. And because of that, we can have confidence in it. And God, I pray if there's anyone here that struggles with their salvation, perhaps the devil's just done a work recently in their life, God, I pray that you would give them confidence. That they'd go back to the fact. Have they trusted you as Lord and Savior? Have they confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in their heart that God raised him from the dead? Then, God, give us confidence in that. And, God, use us as your ambassadors, your preachers, your teachers in the world today. Paul's gone, Timothy's gone. We've received the standard ourselves, and I pray we'd retain it and be faithful to it. Even in the generation that it seems like is on a quick road away from it. Lord, raise up a generation of believers who have the courage of their conviction and who know the Word of God and they know the, the God of the Bible. God, there's certain and sure value in knowing. So God, give us confidence in that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you. Would you stand as we close?